Hey, today, if you don't have our app, you're going to need to download it because all of the Bible passages that we have in today's message are just going to be right there in the app. Click on the logo at the top that looks like what you see on the screen, and you'll be on the same digital page as all the rest of us. We're starting this new series talking about authentic, authenticity, uh, because it's kind of a buzzword in our world today. Authenticity is a buzzword in our world today. And what that means is that since it has gained buzzword status, um, it means that the word itself has high value. Lots of people like it. Lots of people will talk about authenticity as if it's really a good thing. Lots of people have high value for the word, but it also has low meaning. That's the way all buzzwords work. As they begin to spread wider and wider, a buzzword gets high value and low meaning. And so more people talk about something they know less about. That's the way buzzwords work. And so more and more people are talking about the value of authenticity, but they don't really know what it's really all about. And so as I talk to people, listen to people, and read articles and whatnot online, trying to find out some different aspects of this, it's been kind of buzzword level for the last, I don't know, maybe five, almost 10 years, particularly among like the internet set or the younger crew that sometimes gets called millennials. It's this kind of word that says authenticity is like one of the biggest values. And I've heard it described in at least three different ways. So I want to share them with you today. The first one is someone who says, I'm going to be true to myself. Authenticity means being true to myself. Whoever I am on the inside, I'm just going to let people see that. And so when someone asks me how I'm feeling, I don't say the lie that everybody else says. I don't say fine. I tell them my week stinks. And I might use a swear word in there just because that's what's going on inside my life. And so I'm going to let it spew out of my life. Being true to yourself means I'm going to wear all of me on my outside. And I'm just going to be me. Now, that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. If you're a kind person, then wearing all of your kindness on the outside is going to be a good thing. If you're not a kind person, I don't want to see all the stuff that's on your inside coming on the outside. You know what I'm saying? That authenticity doesn't necessarily mean good. It just simply means for some people, I'm just going to let you see who I am. I'm just going to be me. Real, the real raw me. That's just what you're going to what you're going to get. The second thing people do with authenticity is they'll say, no, I'm not going to be true to myself because what's inside myself is kind of yucky. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be true to my ideals. I'm going to establish a few principles for myself. I'm going to establish a few ideals for myself. And I'm going to stand on those things no matter what gets in my way. And so I've got a few things. This is a core value. This is a core value. This is a core value. I rarely live them, but I'm going to stand on them. They're going to be my ideals, and I will always be true to my ideals. These first two are showing up in really damaging ways in our modern political world. Because right now, there are a lot of people in our political system who would say things like, listen, I'm just going to be true to myself, and so if I want to go on live television and swear up a storm about our president, I'm going to do so. And other people might say, hey, listen, I'm just going to be myself. If I want to go to Twitter and call people racists, I'm going to do so. And so people are just going to be, I'm just going to be me. That's just what I'm going to do. I can't do anything else, so I'm just going to be true to myself. And at the same time, there are other people who are going to be like, no, I'm going to stand on my principles. It's my principle that that person is a racist. And so as a result, I'm going to stand on my principle because the only way I can stand on my principle is to tell other people where they are and what they are and who they are and to identify them. And perhaps you are right now sitting here thinking, yeah, there are some people like that, those Democrats. 
Or, or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, there are some people like that. Those Republicans. I don't know which one of you there, maybe some of you are like, those Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> I, I don't know where you sit when it comes to the aisles. But I know this. We all see the problem in other people. And so we stand on our ideals to say, them's the wrong people. And that's not authenticity. That's hard-heartedness. And then there's the third one, being true to the world. The, the person who's saying, I'm being authentic by being true to the world. This one I have to explain a little bit because being true to the world means the world tells me what authenticity looks like and I imitate it. The world tells me what authenticity looks like and I reshape myself to match it. And so the world around me, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching YouTube and I'm seeing this vlogger and man, that vlogger is just so authentic. This person is just so real and raw. They're letting me in on the inside world of their life for 10 edited minutes of their day. Man, they're just so real. And then you walk away from that and you're like, I need to be real like that. And then you go through your day trying to edit yourself as fast as that person has done it. And you're realizing it's difficult. And so you struggle to try to present yourself to the world as an authentic person when all you're really doing is trying to match someone else's view of authenticity. This is a problem in our world. It's very, very difficult for us to be authentic because we don't even know what it means. We don't even know what it means to be truly ourselves. There's this uh, review article that I read by the Harvard Business Review where they analyzed the workforce and talked to many different managers to try to find out how managers handled authenticity. And this was one of the conclusions that they drew at the very beginning of this article that I was reading. I'll put it up here. There's a paradox of authenticity that says sometimes just being yourself is the wrong thing to do. I remember one time when I was in Chicago, I told a story to the congregation of a time when I was driving with my family and I went on the interstate in the wrong direction for two hours. Some of you, what in the world? Like, you've never done that? Maybe you haven't. Maybe I really am a loser. I don't know. Now I feel bad. Way to go. Thanks for helping me out on that one. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, I told a story about how I drove in the wrong direction for two hours. Two years later, a man in the church came up to me and he said, Jeff, this thing you're doing with our church, I can't follow you anymore because it's just you driving in the wrong direction on the road for two hours. And he pulled up my vulnerability from the past to throw it back in my face and say, listen, I lost respect for you back when you told me about that story when you drove, the road, drove on the road in the wrong direction for two hours. I lost respect for you back then and I don't have respect for you now as a leader and I'm just telling you now a couple years later that I've been stewing on this thing for a whole long time. See, here's the deal. If you're too authentic, too real, too vulnerable to the wrong people, you get judged and now you're in trouble. And so the Harvard Business Review actually has an article saying, don't let people see the real you. Instead, let them see manager you. And manager needs to learn from us. So read our articles, buy our books, whatever. We're going to teach you what it means to be a manager because you don't need to be you. You need to be our version of you when you're a manager. And it's a very interesting world that we live in that on the one hand, authenticity seems to be a value and on the other hand, it kind of doesn't. But all three of these things have the same thing in common. They all have the word true. And I think ultimately, we have a sense that authenticity is about something being 
true, being real, being the thing it's supposed to be. I want to show you a picture of three paintings, and I want you to try to figure out which one is the real Bob Ross painting. Many of you have seen the Bob Ross show, right? You've seen him paint his happy little trees? Yeah, some of you have seen the show. I know you've seen it. And now I want you to look at this and, and try to figure out which one of these is the real Bob Ross painting. And don't be, don't be skewed by the fact that one of them's on an easel and two of them are being held up by human hands. Maybe human hands want to touch the Bob Ross painting. I don't know. But if you look at it, you'll notice the one in the middle has slightly more detail on the mountains and slightly more detail on the rocks and much more muted highlights in the trees. The one on the left has white highlights on the trees and a smaller number of rocks in the waterfall. The one on the right-hand side has far more detail on the highlighting of the grass and yellow highlighting on the trees and kind of some smudgy rocks in the waterfall at the top. So the question is, does Bob Ross paint the highly detailed one in the middle? Does he paint the somewhat uh, smudgy one on the right-hand side with yellow highlights Or does he paint the somewhat smudgy one on the left-hand side with the wider highlights? Which one do you think it is? I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands to vote for this thing because I'm just going to tell you. I, I like to be a kind person. It's all of them. Every one of them is a Bob Ross painting because every time he did a TV series, TV show, he painted the same image three times. The one on the left is the one before the TV show where he did his preparatory work to figure out what he was going to paint in the show. Oh yes, his paintings in the show were not happy accidents. He planned them. Every single show had a painting that was done before the show to be the painting in the show. And then the one on the right-hand side is the one that he painted during that particular show. And then the one in the left is the one that after the show was over, he painted that one to be the absolute best. So that one could be published in a book that would then get circulated to people who wanted to learn from a book. And those stationary images in a book would need to be a little bit more detailed and a little bit more precise because the person's going to be staring at them for a long time. The one on the right-hand side had to be done in 22 minutes of a television show. And the one on the left-hand side was just preparatory work. So now the question is, which one is more authentic? The one that he's just sketching out to begin with? The one that was really done live in front of the television cameras? The one that we all watched? Is that the authentic one? Or is that one afterwards that he polished and tried to make a little bit more precise and a little bit better because then it was going to be printed and people would be scouring it more closely? Which one is the more authentic Bob Ross? You don't even have to answer it. It's obvious. All of them are Bob Ross. They're all authentic because they all had their own unique different purposes. The one on the left accomplished its purpose. It did what it was supposed to do. The one on the right did what it was supposed to do. It taught people how to paint. And the one in the middle did what it was supposed to do. It got into a book so that it would look good on page, on a page. And all of them are authentic because of one thing. They were all touched by the artist. See, authenticity is about when you have been touched by the artist. I was at a sports shop recently and they had a jersey that had John Elway's signature on it. John Elway was the quarterback of the Denver Broncos when they won the Super Bowl. You might not remember it, but right next to it was a jersey with Peyton Manning's signature on it. 
a Broncos jersey with Peyton Manning's signature on it. Oh, I almost bought it for my mom, but it was $300 and I'm not doing that. And so, uh, but I asked the guy, I was like, is this a real John Elway? And is this a real Peyton Manning jersey? And he's like, yeah, I've got a certificate to prove it's authenticity. You see, this is the deal. Something is authentic when the artist has actually touched it. Something is fake when someone other than the artist has touched it. Something is fake when someone other than the artist has shaped it, has made it. But something is authentic when it has been touched by the hands of the artist. And that, my friends, is you. You are a person who has been touched by the hands of the master artist. And God wants to keep working on you until you become exactly the painting you were designed to be for the purpose that he is designing you to serve. Let me show you this verse from Isaiah. It says this, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. You're the clay. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, here's the point about authenticity for us. We're going to spend a few weeks dealing with this. The question for us is not what kind of person will you be, what kind of person should you be, the kind of person that you want to be. That's not what we're talking about. We're not going to be talking about how to let your outside look like a good version of your inside. We're not going to give you a shape and say, this is what authenticity looks like, now you fit that shape. We're not going to do any of those things. What we're going to do is we're going to say, what does it mean for me to let God's hands be on me? What does it mean for me to remove all other influence other than God from me so that my life has been touched by the hands of the master and no one else? That's what we're going to be talking about. And today, we're going to look at a bunch of verses, a bunch of verses that you've probably already seen before. You might already have them memorized or you're familiar with them, and that's okay. We're going to look at them all over again because these are so foundational to our lives that we have to make sure they are a regular part of our awareness. I want to take you all the way, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. I go back to this verse maybe two or three times every single year just because it's that foundational to our awareness of who we are as people. It says this, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our life so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Right there is your manifesto for what humanity is all about. God says you are made in the image of God so that you may rule. Now today we're not going to talk about what it means to rule. We're going to get into that next week. What does it mean for us to be rulers in this world? But let's keep reading because he continues. He says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. When God wanted to create some rulers on this world to represent himself, he intentionally created community. And so you cannot serve the role of being in God's image unless your community involvement is also right. Now, we're going to talk about that stuff in the future. We're not going to talk about it today. But keep reading. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God has given you a purpose. He has given you a mission. He's given you a goal. He's given you an identity. But it all starts with you being his image. Two things about the word image. 
In the ancient world, a king, when he would enter a new area and conquer that land, he would set up an image in that land, and then he would leave. And the image would remain behind him, as, as a statue of some kind. That image would remain behind while he went off to conquer another land to remind all those people back there who their king was, to remind those people back there who was really in charge. The image was the king's representation of his authority. Now, the Hebrews used the word image in a different way. They used the word image to refer to a sculpture of stone or wood that represented a deity or a god. And so the people, the Hebrew people were like, we're not going to make any images because images are a representation of God and God doesn't need any representation made by human hands. In parentheses, because the human hands are his representation, right? So we don't make a representation of God. We're supposed to be a representation of God. That's the image, okay? But there's another cool thing, and some of you I know don't like it when I go into the Greek language, but I'm going to do it today just for a tiny little bit anyway. And so I'm going to tell you what the Greek word behind the word image is. So when the Bible writes the word image, the Greek word behind it is icon. That's how you pronounce those funny little squiggles there. Icon, or the way we might pronounce it in our world today, icon. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the word icon was chosen for computer graphics because the icon is a representation of the thing behind it. Let's do a little experiment. I know you guys all bring your phones here to church and we encourage you to use uh, apps and things. And so I want to ask you to take your phone and go ahead and go to the home screen or your app drawer, whatever it is, and look, focus your eyes on your favorite app icon. Go ahead and look at your phone screen and find your favorite app icon. Well, why are we even doing that? I, I know what it is. It's all of you. It's, it's the Lafayette Community Church app. So I'm just going to put the icon right up on the screen here and so you can look at this one. And so I would tell you to tap on your Lafayette Community Church app icon, but I know you're already in the app because you can't bear to leave it. And so I decided I'll just go ahead and tap on the icon here. So <laughs> That's enough of that. Okay, so here's the deal. If you were to tap on our church app icon, and I cannot tell you how much I wanted to issue all an update tonight. You know, so last night you would have come to church here with an app update and I would have said, okay, everybody open up your, your church app and you would tap on it. And then everybody in the room, it'd be like Rick rolling all of us. Man, I wanted to do that so bad, but no, uh, Apple takes a couple weeks to approve things. So anyway, so I didn't, I didn't do that, but here's the deal. If you tap on an icon and you get something other than the app you wanted, what do you call that? You call that a bug at best or a virus when things are bad or in God's world, a sin. See, I want to ask you a question. You're made to be an icon of God. So what do people get when they tap you? And that's kind of heavy. What, what do people get? What are they supposed to get when they tap me? Well, when they tap me, what they're supposed to get is they're supposed to get some sort of representation of God. 
They're, they're supposed to get some sort of identity of God flowing through me. I'm just the icon. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm just the icon. They tap me, and what comes out of me should be something from God. I was made to be His image. I was made in His image to be His representative on this world. And so when I get tapped, I should release something of God, but uh, I usually don't. Usually when people tap me, they get irritated, Jeff. They get frustrated, Jeff. They get too busy, Jeff. They get uh, ignoring your phone call for now, Jeff. They get, uh, I got other things going on, Jeff. People tap me all the time, and they get various versions of me. If you're lucky, you might get kind, Jeff, or nice, Jeff, or wise, Jeff, but that's rare, and so you usually are going to end up, because see, listen, my OS is so buggy, I cannot predict what's going to come out of me when I get tapped, and depending on who taps me, and how they tap me, and what happens, I might release all manner of things and so might you. That, my friends, would be inauthentic because that's not what I was made to be. What the artist, what the creator, what the crafter of the world has made me to be is someone who releases him to the world. Let me show you this verse from Romans 3. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. See, God has glory. He is glorious. He's the creator of the heaven and the earth. He's the creator of love. He's the creator of kindness. He's the creator of uh, that feeling that you get when you have done something for someone else that no one else could have done. And you know you did it, not because you're ever going to get anything back, but you just did it. And now you see their joy. And that feeling that you have inside is the feeling of a person who has demonstrated love to another person. God made that. God made all the good and perfect gifts in this world. He's the creator of all those things. And his glory is far above all of those gifts. And God is glorious. And when people tap me, they don't get glory. When people tap me, they just get lowly Jeff stuff. I've fallen so far short of the glory of God. And the Bible calls that sin. When you have been designed for a purpose and you fail to fulfill that purpose, that is called brokenness or sin. So what do we do about it? Well, the good news is that God is already at work to solve this problem. We're not reading it, but if we were to read the very next verse, it says, and God is willing to justify all of you freely. That means to make you right. See, God is working behind the scenes to bring the glory back to you. He's working behind the scenes so that your icon right here, when it gets tapped, what shows through is his glory. He is ready to make that happen in your life. He is working on it right now. That's the reason you are sitting here today because God is trying to work on you to bring his glory back into your life. I'm going to give you four things today that you can carry with you to try to help you let the glory get back into your life. Four simple things that I think if you put these into practice in your life, God's glory will begin to recover in your life. Number one, I want you to see an authentic picture of Jesus. 
A lot of us have a picture of Jesus that is sort of of our own making, where we've got this idea of Jesus, he's a kind guy, or Jesus, he's a wise guy, or Jesus, he's a teacher, or Jesus, he died on the cross. Some of you have a picture of Jesus that is one-dimensional. Everything you think about Jesus is just one of those things. He's a miracle worker, or he, he forgave people of their sins, or he loves everybody. You just have a one-dimensional picture of Jesus, and I want you to come back to a full picture of Jesus to say, Jesus is the one that I need to pay attention to. Why? Because he is the perfect image of God. See what it says in this passage here. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Before Jesus came to this earth, he was the force behind creation, according to this passage. This was written by the apostle Paul, a guy who hated Jesus and then met Jesus and then loved Jesus. And when, when someone turns your life around like that, it just really changes a lot of things. And so he writes this, but he doesn't write something about Jesus is a good guy or Jesus really made me feel better when I had this problem. No, for Paul, Jesus is the creator of the universe who showed up in flesh. And therefore you see Jesus in flesh as the perfect image of God. He is in flesh everything humanity was supposed to be because he is already God and now he is bearing the flesh of man as well. Keep reading. It says this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is above all things. Listen, all the stuff down here, This stuff down here cannot be seen properly unless the light of the one above shines on it properly. And so if you spend all your time worrying about the stuff down here, you're never going to see clearly. You need to pay attention to the light from the thing above. Christ is supreme. He is above all things. And so listen, if you want to be your true self, it all begins with your relationship and your knowledge, and your awareness of Jesus, and who he is. Take a look at this next passage. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let me tell you something. If you have never opened your heart up to Jesus asked him for forgiveness and cleansing for your sins and received the gift of his death on the cross and his resurrection for you. If you have never received Jesus into your life, if you have never given him your heart, then you are fake. Because what you were made to be is an image bearer of God. And if what is in you is less than God, what you are is fake. You are a painting painted by a false master. If you want to be authentic, it begins with this recognition that I must have God in me. But because I have sinned, I need to be cleansed from it first.
Take a look at this next passage. Jesus says to Philip, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, I am God in the flesh. Here's the bottom line. If you want to be authentic, you need to see Jesus accurately for who he really is. Invest yourself into understanding who he is. Read the New Testament. Read his words. Read the words of the people around him. Read the words of the people about him and embrace who Jesus really is. Number two, I want to encourage you to embrace what I'm calling the trust of becoming. The trust of becoming. A lot of times whenever we enter into a a phase of sort of self-improvement, the biggest problem we always face is if I make this life decision, will I be guaranteed this result? If I purchase this diet, will I be guaranteed that amount of lost pounds? And they never guarantee any of those things. If I try this particular pill, will my sickness definitely go away? We want guarantees and we have all these sorts of things where we say, I don't want to do this uncomfortable thing because I don't know if it's going to take me to the place where I want to go. And I'm here to tell you something. There's a God in heaven who has already promised to create you. He is already working on you. He's working on you now. And he promises he will continue to work on you until he's done with you, until you have been fully formed. He is working on you to shape you even more into his image and to restore to you the glory that you and I have lost. God is working on that. He is promising you that, but it means you have to trust it or you'll never step into it. Take a look at this verse here. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the Christians who have gone throughout the centuries, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Keep going. He says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's the deal. You might grow weary. You might face hardship. But guess what? It is the image bearer of God. It is his responsibility to walk through hardship for the joy set before him. And if Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, then how in the world could we ever consider that he, the perfect image bearer, who walks through hardship and must endure for the sake of the joy before him, how could we ever believe that our journey will be comfortable? Our journey will be difficult. It will be frustrating. It will be hard. But those who are authentic will trust in the outcome God is working as a result. Look at this next verse. Romans chapter 8 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according. Oh, we love that verse. God works for the good in all things. So no matter what the bad thing is, oh, God is working for the good. God is working for the good. I'm just going to hang on to that. Hold on. Never stop at the end of that phrase. Keep reading. It says this, for, that's a because word. God foreknew some people and he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Here's God's plan. God's plan is to take some people 
you're included in that if you've received Jesus, then he's going to take these people and he's going to transform them into the image of his son. There's only one problem. The image of Jesus is an image of endurance. So I want to invite you to be people of trust. God is guaranteeing a glorious future for you because you bear his image. But the journey you walk along towards that glorious future may be rough. So trust in the becoming. Number three, I want to invite you to trust in what I'm saying, the mind. I want to invite you to embrace the mind of becoming. To transform the way you think. To transform the way you, you process these things. Take a look at this verse. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, this is what you were made for. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something needs to happen up here. And when your mind gets renewed, a glorious thing happens. Keep reading. It says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our problem with authenticity is that we like comfort. And so what we do is we do authenticity based on comfort. And so I feel comfortable cursing at you, so it's authentic for me to say those words out of my mouth. I feel comfortable just lashing out in anger, and so therefore I will be authentic by doing it instead of just thinking about it. I feel comfortable avoiding all of you people because I'm shy, and since I'm comfortable avoiding all those people, I will actually do it because that's authentic for me. Authenticity is where I feel the most comfortable. Don't believe it. Because see, here's the truth. You were made for glory, and so if you're comfortable with less, you will never reach the glory. And so God says, listen, transform your mind and then you will be able to test and approve God's perfect will. One of these days, you will see God's will and it will look comfortable. It will look desirable. But it starts with a renewing of our mind. And then number four, I want to encourage you to embrace what I'm calling the heart of being. The last part of authenticity that we struggle with so much is that we live in a world that is continuing to press us. You know what I mean? The world is continuing to press us into different worries and fears. You're a student and so you're worried school is starting up again and you're going to have all these responsibilities and all these assignments and all these frustrations and people are going to have all these expectations of you and your classmates are going to hate you like they hated you last year and your other classmates are going to like you at the beginning of the year and hate you at the end of the year and some other classmates are going to hate you at the beginning of the year and like you at the end of the year and you don't know which one of them there are and so you want to just avoid all of them because you're afraid to make any sort of friends. Some of you are co-workers with some else who's been lying behind your back and you don't know how to look them in the eye anymore because you know what they've been saying about you because the other person that you sort of kind of trust but not really trust has told you things about that person saying things about you and so now you're in this whole office thing and you don't even know if any of it's true but it feels true and so because of all that pressure on us what we do is we worry about the future and we stress about the past and there's a God in heaven who says no I'm shaping you now what I'm doing in your life is a now thing. And I want you to embrace a heart of a person who is being present in the moment with your heavenly father. 
See what Jesus says here in John. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's a little botany lesson for you. How much fruit can a branch bear if it is cut off of the vine? Duh, nothing. Is the life of the plant in the branch? No. See, here's the thing. The life of a plant comes into the roots, all the nutrients in the water, and it comes up through the vine. And the branches, the branches are just a lucky conduit of the life going to the fruit. And the leaves on the far outside, they get the sunlight and they transform the sunlight into, by photosynthesis into energy for the plant and that comes back in and it runs back to the vine so then it gets shared with all the other branches. And so what happens is that the branch, yes, it contributes to all the rest, but it gets its life from the vine and it's just a lucky conduit. It's a lucky conduit of its gifts coming to others and the life of the vine coming into it. It's a lucky conduit. Listen, you have the easiest job in the world. Do you know that? You have the easiest job in the world. All you have to do is just be there and let God work on you. All you have to do is just be in his presence. Stay connected with him. And let his life flow through you. Listen, I don't know exactly what that means for you. But I'll encourage you on a few things. I think you should be here on Sundays. I think you should read your Bible during the week. I think you should spend time in prayer. Man, I think you should be part of a community group with some people. I think you should do something to keep yourself connected deeply with God. Because here's the deal. Here's what you need to take home with you. This is my final phrase for you. It's just this, I am fully authentic when I am shaped by my maker. You are never more fully you than when God is working on you. And whenever anyone else is working on you, even if it's you, you become a forgery, a fake, an imitation. But those who are truly authentic are the ones who say what I was made to be is clay in the hands of a potter, canvas where someone else is painting. What I was made to be is a happy little accident just waiting to become a tree. Listen, I want to give you the opportunity to spend some time here just in reflection and quiet and to spend some time praying. We're going to have our prayer team up front again at the end and we're going to sing a final song. And I just want to invite you, man, here in this place, spend a few moments with God and say, God, what does it mean for me to let go of my artificiality and receive from you your design for me? What does it mean for me to stop shaping myself and to start letting you shape me? And if you have never given your life to Jesus, do it today. Say, Jesus, my life is yours. Lead me. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. 
God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.